think that making films is hard. So if you're going to make a film, it should be about something that is incredibly meaningful to you. That's why you would use your voice. Find that meaning. And it's okay to wait until you find it or like bumble along the way and find it later. But it just, the, the, it should be meaningful. Yeah, I would echo that. I mean, it's a bigger question. It's about finding your purpose and finding what gives you meaning and f- finding things that you're inspired and passionate about because, like Chai said, it, it's very hard to make films. But when you find something that gives you that drive and, and purpose, um, you have to be relentless regardless. You know, yeah. it's a lot easier when you find something that has a lot of meaning behind it. That's Chai Vazarelli and Jimmy Chin. And this is the Ritual Podcast. The Rich Roll Podcast. Hey, everybody. How you guys doing? What's happening? Greetings, podcast enthusiasts of planet Earth. My name is Rich Roll. I am your host. Welcome to my little corner of the world. I got to say up front, you are in for a treat today. If you enjoyed my conversations with climbers Alex Honnold, Conrad Anker, or uh, Hillary Nelson, then you're going to freak out for today's episode with Chai Vazarelli and Jimmy Chin, the stunningly talented dynamic filmmaking duo behind the new documentary Free Solo, which is this beautiful cinematic celebration of human possibility. A graduate of Princeton University, hailing from New York City, Chai is a director and a producer with several award-winning documentaries to her name, who cut her filmmaking teeth working under none other than the legend himself, Mike Nichols. Chai's husband and creative partner, Jimmy, is also an award-winning cinematographer and director, as well as this incredible climber, adventurer, photographer, and North Face athlete, really known for his ability to capture the authentic in some of the world's most challenging and high-risk environments. Uh, Jimmy's technical acumen, when matched with Chai's storytelling superpowers, has created two of the most compelling documentary masterpieces in recent memory. First up was Meru, the highest grossing independent documentary of 2015. That movie won the Sundance Audience Award and made the Oscars shortlist and was lauded by Variety as one of the best sports documentaries of its type in recent memory. And their latest super twin powers activate collaboration. And really the primary focus of today's conversation is Free Solo. Free Solo is, I I just cannot say enough good things about this movie. It is a riveting, intimate, unflinching, edge of your seat, sweaty, palm inducing, thrill ride portrait of Alex Honnold as he prepares to achieve his lifelong dream, a death defying quest to free solo the world's most famous rock, the 3,200 foot face of El Capitan in Yosemite without a rope. Let that sink in for a moment, without a rope. It's an accomplishment the New York Times called one of the greatest athletic feats of any kind ever. And I second that notion. Uh, I had the honor of attending the film's premiere in Los Angeles a few months back. And even though I was able to give Alex a big hug moments before the screening, and he was like sitting just feet away from me in the theater. And of course, everybody in the theater knows that the story ends well. 
There were audible gasps throughout <laughs> the entire screening. My palms could not stop sweating. I was spellbound. This movie is a thrill. I cannot recommend it more highly. It is truly masterful. But there's so much more to the story of this film and to Jimmy and Chai and their collaboration that meets the eye. And we're gonna dive into all of that in a couple few, but first. We're brought to you today by Momentus. Over the last 16 years, I can safely say that I have tried almost every single plant-based protein out there. And I can tell you that most of them are highly processed with tons of additives and or they taste terrible, they're not third-party tested or simply just don't hit the nutritional bullseye with a legit science-supported formula with the appropriate amino acid profile that promotes optimal nutrient absorption, which is all just a long way of saying how enthusiastic I was to be introduced to Momentus's 100% plant-based protein, which solves for all of the above and then some with a precise blend of pea and rice proteins, which yields a complete amino acid profile, tastes great, and has become my go-to to ensure my body is supplied with energy for proper recovery and function. Momentous products are simply the best in the industry, which is why they're used by over 90% of NFL teams, by Olympians, Tour de France champs, and world-class athletes across every sport. With all the BS in the supplement world, I trust Momentous's industry-leading quality standards and quality. Try Momentous for yourself by going to livemomentous.com richroll for 20% off plant-based protein and all of their top-of-the-line products. That's L-I-V-E-M-O-M-E-N-T-O-U-S dot com slash richroll for 20% off. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel. But what you wear isn't just clothes. It is, without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you, after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor fit, built to move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team. From increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. Okay. Jimmy and Chai. Jimmy and Chai are incredible. I'm just so excited about this conversation. Uh, it's a discourse about the power of story to inspire, to open people's eyes, to 
human possibility. We discussed the cross-pollination of Jimmy and Chai's respective talents, how Chai's strong background in storytelling and serious nonfiction documentary work perfectly complements Jimmy's beautiful cinematographer's eye and his 20 years of adventurous climbing expertise. We talk about the essence, the efficiency, the purity, the beauty of soloing, and what makes Alex so uniquely genius. It's not just the scope and the difficulty of this climb, but it's really his intentional way of life. And the diligence, the preparation, the attention to detail, the diaries and the memory of maneuvers that he put into this attempt. Uh, And it's also about his relationship with fear and with death and with his girlfriend and his friends and family. We talk about why uh, Jimmy and Chai chose to break the fourth wall in this movie and, and weave the filming experience and the filmmakers into the cinematic narrative. And we dive into the importance of trust and the very serious ethical implications, ethical questions posed in making a film like this when there is this very real possibility that's always looming that their good friend and the film's protagonist uh, could very well die. In addition, I urge you to check out the YouTube edition of this episode at youtube.com forward slash richroll, which features not only the full conversation, but it's also supplemented with clips from the movie itself. It's really cool. And again, the podcast is also now available on Spotify for all you Android lovers. Uh, It's a great honor to have Chai and Jimmy here today to share the story behind their magic. So let's get on with it. I've always been conflicted about shooting a film about free soloing just because it's so dangerous. It's hard to not imagine your friend falling through the frame to his death. I think when he's free soloing, that's when he feels the most alive, most everything. How can you even think about taking it away from somebody? No mistakes tomorrow. Starting to get kind of psyched. If you're pushing the edge, eventually you find the edge. I can't believe you guys actually can watch. Hey, Jimmy, do you copy? You just started climbing. Super excited to have you guys here today. Delighted to be able to talk to you about free solo and your life and creativity and art and commerce and everything. So welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. It's very nice to be here. It's cool. I'm fascinated by your relationship, both personal and working relationship. Like it's gotta be uh, a cool and at times I would imagine challenging dynamic to work together on a creative project or projects that you guys both feel so passionately about. Um, But, and please correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like this is like a divine pairing, like the expertise uh, that you bring, Jimmy, and Shai that you bring creates this beautiful uh, complementary sort of set of skills that allows both of your work to like go to the next level. And I think Free Solo is a perfect example of that. I mean, free solo is a, it is it is the manifestation of that. Yeah. Um, along with what Alex brought. Uh huh. Um, you always need the good subjects. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. 
but no, I think it's because he brought so much of his craft to El Cap that mm-hmm. it kind of it pushed Jimmy and and that and his high angle team to bring their best. And then I pushed Jimmy and I as directors to bring our best. Yeah. Um, but I mean, yes, the Free Soul is a very good example or manifestation of how Jimmy, our partnership works. Yeah. And um, it's, it is like the evolution from Meru. Also, I feel like climbing movies have been sort of tiptoeing up against the, this barrier of trying to break through to mainstream audiences. Um, it seems like Valley Uprising was was a solid attempt at doing that. It didn't quite get the penetration that I feel like it deserved. And then Meru went a long way towards introducing mainstream audiences to this world that you're so passionate about that runs through your blood. Um, but Free Solo is like next level, man. Like people are <laughs> freaking out from this movie. Yes. Uh, no, but I think that you're you're right that, you know, that cross-pollination essentially from Chai's talents uh, and where she comes from and her very strong background last, what, 15 years of, you know, serious nonfiction documentary work mm-hmm. uh, combined with, you know, what I've, what I've been doing for 20 years. Uh, and, you know, I think the biggest thing is that there's a lot of trust there. And, you know, sometimes I wonder, you know, I, in some ways our, our, our working relationships on films, uh, on this film, it, it's almost simpler compared to our, compared to like being married and having children and uh-huh. all those things. Because we, you know, I think it's very easily recognizable, like what we each bring to the table on that level. And I guess it's, it's. It's similar, yeah. You know, but I mean, it's hard. I mean, the here's like it was, yeah. Um, it was wonderful to bring our children to Yosemite, mm-hmm. you know, and it was definitely part of my motivation was keeping everyone together and bringing our children to this wonderful place. But now in this part, right, like you've got both parents on the road, and that's hard. Yeah. So it's they're kind of those very practical considerations that become tough on us as a family. Yeah. Um, but in the work, in the work, it's it's really it it works because Jimmy and I trust each other so much. Like I know he's going to make the right decisions when he's shooting. Uh-huh. He trusts when I'm I'm asking for something that I'm asking for it for a reason. Um, like you know, get that shot. Right. Um, and it's really important that we film that. Um, and it, and it kind of works that way. And like just even on this film, like they're toiling away on the on the wall with Alex for eight hours, ten hours. And then Alex, you know, Alex sits down, but they're still up there kind of, you know, uh-huh. gathering the ropes and getting down. And, you know, myself and a different team, like a Verite cinematographer, would be there to talk to Alex about life and love and yeah. his dad. And you um, need both. I mean, yeah. Jimmy, you know, on the one hand, like you're the only person who could be doing what you're doing. You have the climbing expertise and the background and the experience and you have this incredible... Um, acuity with the camera, your cinematographer's eye. And then Chai, you bring the emotionality and the narrative structure to this to really take these extraordinary visuals and turn them into a, a narrative that will connect with people's hearts. 
Is that fair? I think it's fair, yeah. but I think that it's often easy to underestimate Jimmy in that particular respect. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think we have a great cheat, so to speak, where Jimmy in in this one brings such an intimate knowledge of this world. And I often feel like just more of an interpreter uh-huh. um, for like his, his instincts and bring some exteriority to it. Yeah. Um, because what I think what also is strong about the film is that it looks at Alex's interior life and tries to build a story while also aspiring to be something that the core respects, mm-hmm. right? Like that there's an authenticity that is 100% Jimmy. Yeah, you, know? you have to serve two masters, right? You, don't, you can't alienate the hardcores, but you also have to make it appealing and interesting and compelling for somebody who knows nothing about this world. Yeah. So it has to, it has to make both of us happy, which is kind of uh-huh. what that is, right? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it works that way. I mean, I think she's very accurate about that in the sense that, you know, a lot of the heart and the soul of both Meru and uh, Free Solo are ideas that, you know, I've experienced or seen or feel deeply about because I've been in this world Mm -hmm. and they're the great lessons or the great conflicts, internal conflicts that I have suffered or people around me in my peer group have experienced. You know, those are ideas that are really the inspiration behind the films, you know, the mentorship and the camaraderie and the friendships that, I felt so deeply, uh, you know, that have driven me to make these films. The task, though, is that I've never, it, it's, you're so close to it, it's really hard to translate. Yeah. And like I said, I mean, Chai has been like the, the great interpreter. She has been able to kind of stand outside of it and uh, be able to tell that story in a way that every, people can digest it and that is really powerful because I have not, you know, I I know it well. And so those are the conversations, you Mm -hmm. know, when Chai and I are sitting there in the edit room or when we're making these films, it's, you know, she's just kind of, you know, her first strokes at it are usually very good. And then, and then we start to kind of refine those things. Uh, And then also making sure, you know, of course it has to also speak to the core, like, there's no way I'm ever going to put out a film where I can't feel proud walking yeah. into a room full of my peer group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, but I would suspect that from your perspective, Jimmy, you may think you're conveying a certain point because you're so close to it. And Chai can say, yeah, you think you're saying this, but actually I'm not getting it or the average person is not going to understand what you're trying to convey. It's more like that's a wonderful point. It's very important that we achieve this other thing. Uh We get to that other thing, and then I'm like, okay, let's go back to what Jimmy was saying. Right. um, And see if we can make it work within what we've done. Uh huh. So you're each polishing each other's stones. Yeah. 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 And it's really important. It's like this concept that was incredibly important in the film. It's a good example about preserving Alex's experience of the climb. Right. Like that's actually the most important part of the task for for us was to yeah. make sure that Alex enjoyed and got what he wanted out of this. But that is a very elusive idea for uh, people who don't understand climate. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, you certainly achieved that. Yeah. Um, it's an extraordinary accomplishment, this movie. 
And it's a very delicate tightrope walk because the simple fact that you're present around him uh, inevitably influences him. And that's something you explore in the movie and trying to remain adequately removed so he has the space to do what he does and in the way that he aspires to do it. Um, while also trying to, you know, responsibly document it so yeah. you can tell the story. I mean, it's it's you like a it Rubik's cube, you know, you to try to solve that. Yeah. And I love how you kind of break the fourth wall with that. I mean, you bring the filmmaker and the filmmaking process into the actual narrative of the movie, and that really elevates the um, the compelling nature of the story that you're trying to tell. It's like that physics thing, like the simple observation of of a subatomic particle is gonna you know, change its position in nature, right? And that's a micro example of, of what you are experiencing, just trying to be there. And I don't wanna you know, spoil it for people that haven't seen it, but that gets played out you know, in, a, in a pretty interesting way. Yeah. No, I think you, you nailed yeah. it. I mean, it, it's a, a lot also about respect for the craft and the athlete. And, you know, I mean, you, you as an athlete, I mean, you know, um, that you don't want to like take away from the whole inspiration of the, the film, you know, by being there and filming him. Uh, it's always been a conundrum in my field of work, yeah. you know, because especially in climbing and, probably in you know surfing I and mean, there's this whole idea of purity of, right. of the of why you do it you mm -hmm. know and and we address that too you know you see peter croft in the film being like you know when people asked me if they could film me on astro man i was like no nope, not interested yeah. You know. And in that moment, Alex lights up like a Christmas tree. You can see the respect that he has for yeah. this guy, and he can really hear what he's telling him. And Alex, you can almost see the gears in his brain turning, like, am I making a mistake? Like, yeah. is this uh, a demonstration of a lack of integrity? Because he, he's like, look, I have a film crew with me. Yeah. Like, how do I do this? And the and the, the the old sage is saying, like, I wouldn't do that, you know, and he's like, you can see him like really having a moment of reckoning with that. Yeah. And Peter's like the great, you know, Yoda for all right. climbers, you know, for he's been the one, like the chosen one for, for generation. Uh -huh. And uh, so his, his words weigh heavily for sure. But it was interesting because that decision to include the filmmakers, you know, was a hard one. And it, it was one of those things that we had to, see if we could make it work in a, in a true way on different levels, mm -hmm. right? Um, and without it. Yes, yeah. and without it. I mean, um, we tried. Oh, you did, you did a cut without that to yeah, see how that would course. play? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. It, was, it was always about degree with the filmmakers. Right. Like, how much do we put in? Like, and also, what is it really about? You know, so it's, it's not about the people who are interested in how we did it, right? Like that would be like the clear one reason mm -hmm. why you include them because people want to see these guys hanging on ropes and they're like, how did they do this? How did they do this? It was often a really big question in Meru where we were like, they're like, so what, the fourth person was filming it. And you're like, no, yeah, we're, they were filming themselves. Yeah, but what's relevant yeah. about breaking that fourth wall and bringing the filmmakers into it is this question of purity. Like, what does it mean to do this 
from uh, you know a pure place of 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 the heart. And and you're Jimmy, you're like struggling with that because you have these conflicting uh, drives, right? Yeah. To respect what Alex is trying to do, and also to have some fidelity to the creative process of telling an amazing story that will inspire millions of people. And the ethical questions of- The ethical yeah. questions really. What if, right. yeah. what if yeah. filming him yeah. causes him right. to die? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, what that, does that mean? And yeah. what can, you're, you're shouldering this incredible ethical conundrum, this burden of being respons- not responsible necessarily, but a participant in something that could be fatal. And that seemed essential to include. Yeah because it also gets to the existential heart of the movie itself, right? Because in dealing with that ethical question about how what is our responsibility in this situation, you have to stop and think about all the worst case scenarios and then think about the reasons why you would make a film like this. Mm-hmm. And like, what is it, is it justifiable? Like, is, is it worthwhile? And, you know, it gets to then that idea of Alex living a life of intention and every day, is exactly what he's wanting, what he wants to do. Um, he's thought deeply about his own mortality and his own death, and he chooses to do this. Um, and you know, and for us, that 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 idea, like a life of intention, makes it worthwhile, mm-hmm. right? Clearly, we thought he would not get hurt. We trusted him deeply. We trusted him to make the right decisions and not to climb. You know, like you see in the film, like he right. decides not to climb. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was. You know, including the crew was a way to get there, to talk about this. Um, and also, you know, what is was always been a solo endeavor for Alex. Like he's in a van, he gets up and he goes and does this and no one knows about it. Maybe someone later, you know, reports it on a climbing blog. Um, his greatest free solo of his life ended up being about a connection rather than being isolated. Mm-hmm. You know, he had his best friends next to him for a year and a half, training alongside him, giving him feedback, trying to refine their shots while he's refining his moves. Yeah. Um, and all saying like, we're never gonna ask you whether or not you're gonna actually climb. And we like you for who you are, you know, you're you and we're still here. Yeah. Um, and then he had this woman who entered his life, who for I think for probably the first time in his life said, I'm going to tell you how I feel about this, but I still love you. Yeah. You know, and I'm not going, I'm going to try not to go anywhere. So I think that it was this weird process for Alex that it became about connecting with people and communing with people, sharing an experience, whereas it always had been just this alone, like loner endeavor for him. Mm -hmm. And the crew was a way of bringing that to life by showing the crew's feelings about this and how they interact with Alex was our way of trying to get to that truth, you know? From a psychological perspective, he's such a fascinating person, um, unique and and really funny. You know that comes across <laughs> really well in the movie. Yeah, um, in a in a just a quirky, bizarre kind of way. Um, and to kind of echo what you said about you know the solo pursuit of what he's doing, and then and then trying to grapple with the community component of that. The amazing variable is, you know, enter stage left girlfriend, which is like a filmmaker's dream, right? Because that just takes the narrative in a yeah. whole new direction and makes it so much more layered and complex and interesting. If it's stuck. Um, if it's stuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> There's a whole share other- <laughs> her perspective, which 
I would imagine on some level reflects your perspective being in a relationship with Jimmy, right? Like, what is it like to be in a relationship with somebody who's constantly going out, who's compelled to do these death-defying, you know, adventures? Um, and I also loved how you explored um, Alex's background, particularly his father and what his father struggled with. And I couldn't help but wonder, like, well, what, what like remnants of that lives within Alex, like, not that he is, um, you know, has Asperger's or anything like that, but there's something unique about his personality type that makes him perfectly, you know, a perfect fit for what he loves to do. Um, it was really important to us to explore, like, Alex's origins, like where he came from, and explore his most influential relationships. And, you know, Alex's dad was a really tricky one because, you know, Alex's dad died, I want to say 11 years ago or 12 years ago. Um, he dropped dead in an airport of a heart attack. Um, and his parents had gotten divorced about a year prior to that. And so there was this absence, right? There was no one to speak for Alex's dad who had belayed Alex for thousands of hours mm -hmm. in this climbing gym and probably didn't say much but showed up and belayed him, right? Like Alex's sister puts it the best being like, I always wonder if my dad had lived, if he would call and say a sentence about each book he read instead of just telling me the titles. Yeah. This man didn't speak very much. Right. And, but he was very present. So I think there's definitely some, a part of Alex's dad and Alex that probably inc like inclines him towards what he's doing. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that what you see of his mom is very interesting. You know, this idea of perfection is clearly like from his mother. Yeah. It's weird though, because I don't get that vibe from her. I, she doesn't strike me as somebody who's some kind of taskmaster who's who's like, you know, you have to be perfect. But clearly that's, you know, Alex's recollection or perception of, of his upbringing. Well, I mean, she's a published author. She runs marathons. Yeah. She's a concert pianist. I'm, I mean, I don't know if she held him. I think she clearly held him to those standards. Like good is and good. Good enough isn't. Um, what's the other one? Um, it's good enough isn't is the best one. Yeah. yeah. Um, but also held herself to those standards. Uh huh. You know, but she grew up in a different time, right? She's a Sacramento teacher, you know, from New York who moved in with this Northern California family. Mm -hmm. As somebody who's not a climb, like I'm not a climber, um, but I've watched a bunch of climbing movies. Um, I've gotten to know some of the climbers and I know lots of extreme athletes who do crazy things. And I went into the movie and, and I had met Alex and Alex, you know, sat right where you're sitting and got to know him a little bit. So I went into the movie thinking like, I, I know what this is about. Like, you know, I'm familiar with the story and I, I get it. And, you know, it didn't take very many minutes into the movie where I, until I had this dawning epiphany, like, oh, I don't understand this at all. You know, like, I, this is like way more complicated and intense and hardcore <laughs> than I could have ever imagined. And Tommy kind of says it in the movie. He's like, um, you know, people think, oh yeah, he's gonna free solo. That's what he does. Like, I just thought like, you know, he's just, he picks these roots and he just goes up. And it's the climbers who really know, who have yeah. the great appreciation for just how super gnarly the whole thing is. And the diligence and the preparation, the attention to detail and the focus that he demonstrates, like that, 
montage where you have the voiceover of him reading from his diaries and you're like, he has every maneuver completely devoted to memory all the way up this wall. Yeah. And it really boils down to those three or four tricky moves to make it work for him. No, absolutely. I, I mean, I think, I, I, I know it's really almost impossible for a non-climber to imagine the scope of the difficulty because it's hard for a professional climber. It's hard for me to understand even how difficult it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's truly beyond what, you know, we were even talking about. It wasn't something that climbers were sitting around the campfire talking about, you know, um, cause it wasn't just, it just wasn't even on the radar of uh-huh. possibility. It's just so far out there. Uh, and, you know, I've been filming and, and shooting in this space for 20 years and, and worked with many of the best, you know, Peter Croft included, Dean Potter and, and many other incredible Conrad. athletes and people, Conrad, mm-hmm. at the peak of their careers um, and some of their top achievements. Also in the ski mountaineering world and and snowboarding and, you know, just a lot, right. a good mix of extreme athletes. And I just haven't seen anything like it. You know, when, when Alex came on the scene and he kind of came out of nowhere, uh, when, when I first heard about him soloing Moonlight Buttress and Half Dome, I mean, honestly, I, I you know, didn't believe it. I was like, there's no way somebody just showed up and did that. You thought it was just apocryphal or somebody made it up? Or? Yeah, uh-huh. kind of. You know, I had to, I did, I dug. I was like, no way. There's no way. And, and El Cap is, you know, several magnitudes more difficult than Half Dome, like many more. Uh-huh. Uh, it's just so much more difficult. And I, I, I don't know if there's a good way to put it, but I mean, it's like, you know, I think about, in the world of running like a marathon, it's like people are talking about that person that's gonna break the two hour barrier, right? And then someone shows up and runs a marathon in under an hour, Uh you know, where everybody's like, what? It's that that crazy. Yeah, you're like, what? Who's who's talking about running a marathon under an hour? Yeah, it's, it's not physically possible. Well, that's so we so we believe. I guess so we believe. Right? Yeah. And so for uh, you know to imagine somebody, it's just it's a combination of not necessarily physically possible, but it's just mentally. There's no way someone mm-hmm. could keep it together like that. It's just unimaginable. Um, so when how does this all come together? At some point, Alex had to be declarative, like, I'm going to do this, right? To at least, you know, get you guys in motion and thinking about the idea of doing a movie on this. Yeah, well, it's a funny story. It's a great story. Because, you know, Chai and I were talking about different potential films after Meru uh, and and a few people had been approaching us. And so we kind of thrown it out there that we were going to, we were thinking about making a film about Alex, but it was more of a character portrait you know, character study right. of Alex. And all, his achievements up to before Al Cap were already worthy of, you know, mm. an incredible film. And 
so I've been climbing and filming and traveling with Alex for 10 years and know him pretty well, but Chai didn't know him as well. So she wanted to spend some time with him and he came out to New York and I was on another project out of the country or out of, out of the state, but, uh, she was spending time with Alex. And he came to stay with us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which in itself is a great story, but we'll leave it at that. Um, what? Come he, on. No, you can't, can't say I that. Can't, I can't. We had, <laughs> oh. He wasn't alone. Let's put it that way. All right. <laughs> he wasn't okay. alone. Um, 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 to my great surprise. and um, But it was over breakfast that he basically just came out with it and said, I, I'm thinking about free soloing El Cap, mm-hmm. and if there's a movie, it should be about that. And, and Chai's like, oh, that sounds great. Like, right. as a filmmaker, I was like, okay, okay, <laughs> yeah. that sounds amazing, great, that's big. And then I told Jimmy, and I think I was the first person Alex ever said it to out loud directly. Um, and I told Jimmy, and you were like, no way, like, too risky, we can't do it. I was like, he didn't say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was, there's just no, he did, he said what? You know, I made her repeat herself like multiple times because I'm like, he's never said it to me. He's never said it to anybody I've known. And obviously we're very conscious of it because, you know, all of his friends in the back of our minds, you know, we we didn't even want to think about it. But back there, we kind of could tell like everything he had been doing has been leading towards a Mm. particular direction. Mm -hmm. And the end of that path there's a giant 3,000 foot wall, you know? Right. <laughs> and so. Unimaginable. But, and set against yeah. the backdrop in which a lot of sponsors are, you know, dropping these athletes because yeah. the risk factor is sure. so high and it's just too trepidatious for, you know, a brand to be involved in something that could lead to a fatality, right? Yeah. Cliff dropped all the yeah. people who soloed. As opposed to race car driving, right? Right. <laughs> those cars flip all the time, though. For the most part, those guys seem to walk away. I don't know how that works, but. <laughs> We're brought to you today by a very exciting brand new sponsor, Go Brewing. I am sober. I don't drink. And I devoted so many episodes of this podcast to the unreal benefits of an alcohol-free lifestyle. Why? Because even if you don't have issues with booze and suds, no amount of alcohol is good for you. At a minimum, it wreaks havoc on your sleep and produces a hangover that destroys your energy, your mood, and your focus. At worst, it turns your whole life upside down. But no longer does that mean you have to break up with your favorite brew because my pals at Go Brewing are making all your favorite brews, minus the alcohol, fewer calories, and more productive tomorrows. It's not every day that I get the privilege to witness the inception of a company collaborating with our podcast, but that's exactly what happened with Go Brewing. I'm going to tell you this story. A few years back, I spoke at this event in Illinois, fittingly named Go, and it turns out that that very day catalyzed Joe, the founder, to start his own NA beer company, Go Brewing. I had no idea about any of this until I bumped into Joe at Jesse Itzler's Running Man event the other month in Georgia. And he shared this story with me. I savored his fare in all its varieties and deeply moved by the mission and what he shared with me and just impressed with the insane taste and quality of his alcohol-free concoctions. I wanted to help share the discovery. Made with natural ingredients, faithful, 
to traditional beer styles, Go Brewing has an impressive lineup of delicious, small-batch, craft, alcohol-free brews, all without added sugar or artificial processing. My favorite is their double IPA, not just another story, but basically you just really can't go wrong because everything they make is brewed to perfection, worthy of trying yourself, which you can now do at gobrewing.com. That's gobrewing.com and use the code richroll for 15% off your first purchase. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem, a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support, and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple, search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life in recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. What is the meaning of life? What happens when we die? What is our purpose here? If like me, you ponder these delicious existential questions, I have got just the thing for you. It's called Soul Boom. It's a podcast hosted by everyone's favorite best friend and my friend, the deep thinking and deeply hilarious Rain Wilson, where he communes with intellectuals and entertainers, theologians and philosophers in intimate exchanges that tickle the mind, heart, and yes, the soul. Subscribe to Soul Boom on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. Your impulse was, I can't, we can't make a movie. We, I, we can't be involved in this, or you just didn't believe that it was more. He was actually we need do to this. let's let's take a step back here for a moment and really think about this. Let's let's we have to answer some very hard questions. You know, mm-hmm. is this ethical? Do we trust him? Do we trust that we're able to do a production around this without, you know, causing him harm? Uh, is he? Is the production going to, you know, the external pressure of the production going to push him to do something he wouldn't want to do, wouldn't normally do? You know, just mm-hmm. a lot of those questions. And and I, there's a couple of months where I just tried to 
shut it down and and stop thinking about it. But, you know, people were interested. And so we had to kind of make a decision. Uh, and I think six months into the process, Chai and I were hanging out with uh, John Krakauer and, you know, the author, and he's a very yeah. good friend and mentor, really. And, uh, you know, we kind of dropped it on him. We, it was even hard to say. It's like, hey, because um, he was like, well, what are you guys thinking about next? And we were like, we're thinking about a film on Alex. He's like, oh, that would be a great film. And he's, we were like, well, he's thinking about soloing El Cap. And I remember we were walking down the sidewalk and he stopped and he looked over and he's like, what? <laughs> you know, cause that, uh, John gets uh, yeah. it. Uh -huh. <laughs> like, yeah, he's, he's thinking about soloing El Cap. And, you know, John took a minute to absorb it. But then I was like, well, what do you think? And he just looked at us and he's like, well, is he gonna do it anyways? And we were like, yeah, probably, you know. He's like, you've been filming with him for 10 years. You know him as well as anybody. This is what you do. Mm -hmm. You know, do you trust anybody else to do it? Mm -hmm. No, you're the only team that could, that could, if he is going to do it anyway, that kind of answers the ethical dilemma aspect of it. But then I would imagine, yeah, you're like shaking your head, right? I mean, it doesn't let us off the hook. It, does, it doesn't let you off the hook, but I would imagine that there was then a lot of conversations about what the ground rules would be for how you would capture this. Yeah. yeah. We had to build guidelines uh -huh. for ourselves so what does that and for the like? crew. Um, well, I mean, the, the most poignant one is like one could never ask Alex if he was going to free solo all the uh -huh. if he was ready, if he was going to go, any of it. Um, and if you just stop and think about what that looks like, that's kind of, I mean, it's a staggering for a documentary film. Like yeah. you've got how many people waiting every day in place, ready to go. Your burn rate being yeah. very high. Right. Cause that was the other thing too. I just, I just, I guess I just assumed that there would be a date on the calendar and that mm -hmm. that was going to be the day that he was going to do it and everybody would be ready. And it's not, it's like, no, well, he, he could just, you know, do it whenever, whenever the moment, whenever Season, he felt yeah. inspired to do it, when he felt in his soul that he was ready, that it would just happen. And you had to be on standby the whole time. Yeah, it was an open timeline. How long did that go on for? It felt like forever. <laughs> <laughs> You're just like living in Yosemite. Like, is he going to do this? Yeah. I mean, uh, obviously we, we were seeing him train mm -hmm. and we could tell, you know, where he was in his kind of fitness program. I mean, the other thing that's like amazing, and I think that people take for granted is that there's no coach for this. Right. There's no diagram for how you train best for f free soloing El Cap. I mean, he invents it himself. And so, you know, we're also friends and climbing partners. So he's explaining like how he's training and what, mm -hmm. you know, so, so we're getting indications, you know, clearly, you know, we know what the problem areas are uh, in, on the climb, you know, obviously the free blast and, you know, the enduro corner and the clear, definitely the boulder problem. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a bunch of other sections and he, he starts to work the route. He starts to kind of systematically tick off the sections he knows that he's comfortable with and like the monster off with. Like there are all these pitches that are notorious among professional climbers, mm -hmm. you know, professional climbers going to f free climb, meaning climbing without using points of aid, but still using a rope 
but you know there are sections on that route that are notoriously difficult and people will spend three to five days on the route. I mean, when we were filming with Alex, there was a one week, it was the week leading up to him soloing. There was a sponsored Adidas team from Germany to a, a couple like that were on the route for five days trying to free climb the route mm-hmm. without falling on the leading on lead. Mm-hmm. Took them five days. They didn't clean, they didn't climb all the pitches clean, you know? And these are professional climbers. Yeah. And that's with a rope, multiple tries. Right, so they have a rope, but they're trying to do it as if they were without a rope, right? Yeah, well, they're they're doing it with, so there's free climbing and aid climbing. Free climbing means you're climbing with your hands and feet and doing all the moves, uh, you know, in order without falling on each pitch. Um, and in aid climbing, you would just stick a piece in there and grab it right, and haul okay. yourself up with these little ladders uh-huh. and things. But free climbing is kind of like the the cutting edge yeah, yeah, of yeah, climbing. Yeah. But they're they're they can't even climb it with a rope, you know. Wow. Yeah. Even with a rope. Well, some of that stuff is so inside baseball. Yeah. You know, it's so technical, and I'm sure you know climbers get super geeked out yeah. on all of that. But the way that you took something that would be very difficult for the average person to understand and translated it in a way that was not only understandable, but made it like more compelling. Like, oh my God, here he is. He's on that that one point that is gonna be, this is the defining moment, you know? Like you did a great job of, of creating like a tense narrative around those moments. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. What is it that, I'm sorry, go no, ahead. No, no, some of the, there were some really valuable lessons learned with Meru. Mm-hmm. Um, which made give us more confidence in decisions we made about how to do that. Yeah. Um, where you could watch, you could see a lot of details. You didn't need to know what they were called. You didn't need. It was all about his own experience of that challenge. And there, you know, vivid things like the thumbs. Like you know, no one will ever forget those thumbs. Uh-huh. What exactly it's called? Is it called a pinch or whatever? Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't really the matter. Thumb move on the it's the thumb yeah, move, yeah, yeah. yeah. right? Um, or pitches. Like maybe there was a lot of information that was okay if it was not included. Uh-huh. You know, when uh, he finally, when it's the moment and he's beginning. Um, that was in the wake of another attempt where he decides it's not the right day and you guys make adjustments and how you're going to document this because there's some sense that that it's your your process was a little bit too I don't know invasive or in his face or something like that and you have the cameras that are then like in the valley with these huge long lenses but you were still I mean you seem to have plenty of documentation, like you were on the wall and you had the drones and all that kind of stuff, right? Like how, what were the adjustments that you made so that you could still make sure that you were getting the most riveting version of this without being overly interfering? Well, the main adjustment was that a rule that always existed was like really enforced about Alex could only see you if you were filming him on and off mm-hmm. the mountain, right? So it, mostly it was about off the mountain. Yeah. Like that we had 15 people in the valley, but he didn't know that. Um, he didn't know that there were three rented houses in Foresta. You know, he just didn't know the uh-huh. details of what was going on. And in order to minimize the the pressure, you know, that all he knew was that, you know, Jimmy or and Claire Popkin are sit hanging out in his van, you know. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and trusting us that if the time came, we would be in place. Um, but in terms, I think that there's kind of a, almost a, a misperception of what it was like on the wall. Like when you ask about the guidelines, like the main guideline also was that these are elite pro climbers. Right. You know, Jimmy yeah. and the team. They're the number like, one criteria. Yeah. I mean, they're elite pro climbers. So that dangling 20,000 feet to 2,000 feet in the air is normal, right? And they're comfortable there. So it's not really a question if they would ever drop something or let a rope swing. Like that, their main job is to make sure that never happens. And I think that Alex trusted, you know, really trusted the people around him. Uh-huh. Um, so that, you know, they are dangling next to him and, the, you know, the, the mountain is is undulated. So you can be quite close without him seeing you, but he still needs to know that you're there because no surprises, like mm-hmm. that's the worst thing for him mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he can hear you. But, um, you know, there are adjustments like the Boulder problem, remote cameras, where is a decision that everyone came to together because his issue was not about dying. It was about having a friend of his watch him die. Yeah. Which in itself is remarkable, right? Yeah. This guy thinking about someone else's emotional experience of his own death. Uh-huh. The guy who really had a, always a very hard time thinking about what anyone else felt. Um, but also very undramatic about it. Like he's like, <laughs> well, you know, like, yeah, I'm not gonna die. Yeah, he's so mad, he's like, so mad. He's like, it's great. well, yeah, of course I don't wanna die, but like, you know, dying while my friend's watching me, well, you know, yeah, that would be kind of a bummer. You yeah. know, he's so low key about it. No, it and it, it comes with, the territory when you spend a lot of time in that space, you know, and and he 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 says it all the time. He's like, you know, free soloing gives me perspective because when I'm standing in the airport line and there's a guy in front of me just having a, a like mm-hmm. shit fit, like he can, you know, he's like, well, at least you're not going to die, you know, right? And he can kind of keep it. Um, yeah, I feel like um, with Alex, the uh, you know the line of questioning is always like you know what's your relationship with fear and death and all of these things, and people have a hard time wrapping their heads around it. And I, I kind of look at him as somebody who has perhaps one of the healthiest relationships um, with death because he's so close to it all the time that it allows his life to present itself in technicolor. Right, like he's able to be um, incredibly present and like grateful for the moment that he's in, because he's so closely connected to this thing that's going to happen to all of us, but which we all dismiss or try to pretend, you know, isn't going to happen. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right about that, and that that comes back to the the idea of his, you know, intention in living, intentional living. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is acutely, you know, aware of of his time, and and that even for us being around him for this long has 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 like rubbed off, you know, has affected us. I think you know, in what way? Just he he walks the walk, you know. I mean, he he holds himself to a very high standard, and and then you see him. You know whether it's executing on his climbing or if it's carrying a dirty old, you know, half liter 
Nalgene, not Nalgene bottle, but like Gatorade, Gatorade bottle. bottle that he's had for six months. So nasty. And, you know, he's put protein drinks in it every day for six uh-huh. months and carries it around internationally. The same old yeah, Gatorade because bottle. Yeah, because, you know, it, it's a perfectly good bottle and it still mm-hmm. doesn't leak and it still does its job. I mean, the pants he's wearing on the climb, he's... You know, by the time he climbs, you you look at the bottom of his They're pants. Afraid the They're bottom, afraid at the bottom. They're afraid at the bottom. Those pair, that pair of pants, he did like a legendary climb, like years before one of the great alpine climbs of all time, where he did the entire Fitz Traverse in Patagonia. But anyways, that's another story. But it was a tremendously difficult climb, and he shredded his pants on it. And then we saw him in New York, and we were like what are those pants you're wearing? And he's going on his book tour and he's like, oh, these are the same pants I wore on my Fitz Traverse. <laughs> and I'm going on a date uh-huh. in them tonight. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. but to the point being like, you know, he's very conscious of not being wasteful. Yeah. And y- you can't be around that all the time without starting to see, you know, your own actions uh-huh. over the course of the day. Well, that know, red like, t-shirt is, he's in like, in like every photo, he's wearing the same red t-shirt. Well, there's there's a logic behind that too, and I get that beyond not being wasteful. He also he always wants to minimize variables, so he wants to wear the exact same clothing on the actual climb that he has trained in. That's why in the morning he gets up and he already has his muesli breakfast built, and at the exact same time he he for the month leading up to it he was getting up at four in the morning so that he would be regular Mm -hmm. at five go to the bathroom Mm -hmm. because he knew that he would start up the wall at five and he didn't want to make it feel early and he wanted to have gone to the bathroom and he wanted to have had his breakfast and so he so that when the day came he could just go on autopilot and Mm -hmm. everything would be the same it's amazing Mm -hmm. uh you mentioned the book tour. So Alex is on this book tour, speaking tour. And as was, you, you talked about this at the premiere when you were on stage. <laughs> like he he was like on Tinder or whatever and trying to get a date like in every city. Totally. He actually did set up dates <laughs> in every like, city. It was amazing. I almost wanted to raise my hand and say like, please read me what your tw- what your Tinder profile said. Like, I would love to see, like, how he <laughs> characterized it, himself it was on a that, dating um, site. You know, it's that fancy site, like, Thoraya. It's not no, Thoraya. No, no, no. Raya. 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 I don't Raya. know what that is. So it, it mines your Instagram feed mm. and your Pandora, like, preferences. So it was basically heavy metal photos of Alex shirtless, mm. like, in spectacular places. Oh, my God. Um and it was hilarious. I mean, just, I would always be like, what do you tell these women that you do for a living? Uh-huh. Do you tell them that you live in a van? Like, <laughs> I mean, it was, and it was amazing because we we're like, uh-huh. oh, great. We have, like, documentaries are never funny enough. Like, it's always my dream to, like, make a very funny documentary. Uh-huh. And I was like, great, we've got a funny documentary, which will help because the stakes are terrifying on this film. And it'll be a way to give people a release. And then Sonny arrived. Yeah. So she moved into the van with us. We were there first. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> so, um, but... She is just a very special person. Yeah. And um, it, it was it was a real turning point for the film. Yeah, um, and, and one of the things that you said that, that evening at the premiere was, um, 
how important it was to you and to the movie to get that part of the story right. So what is it that you really wanted to make sure that got properly conveyed by virtue of that relationship? Well, I think in all of our films um, together, um, put, being very mindful and thoughtful about how everyone is represented is really important. And But especially, you know, the women in the film. I mean, the men too, but... Um, it just seemed that there are always women in these particular types of stories have always have oftentimes been portrayed a certain way. It was like, mm-hmm. what was me? I'm staying at home. And these women are not like that. And Sani is a very good example of someone who is emotionally articulate and self-confident enough to push back on Alex, but also find this place where she can love him for who he is, which was like a revelation for Alex. Like he, I don't think he's ever had that experience. Mm-hmm. Um like, I don't think his parents looked at him that way. Right. Like, um, but so just giving her the space and allowing the discomfort of what it felt like when she pushed back on Alex right before the climb, like, because it's an incredibly uncomfortable moment in the film. Um, it makes you feel conflicted about her, conflicted about him, but just allowing those moments to live because that was the right thing to, like, it was the right representation, it's honest. Yeah, it's so um, human. It's so, she, it's sort of a passive-aggressive comment that 100%. she makes where it's like, you know, it's okay if you don't do this, you know, and you're like, what's behind that? Mm-hmm. Or um, yeah. the dream. I dreamt that you fell in the same place the day, and we know that he's climbing. He's going to go free solo in two days. Mm-hmm. She doesn't know. Like, those are really difficult things to include and to witness, but it just seemed really important for her character and for his character. Um, And do you feel like Alex compartmentalizes all of that? Or is he really, does that play on his, I mean, he's very clear, like this isn't gonna influence my decision, but on a human level, it's hard to imagine that it doesn't impact how he thinks about what he does. I think if you were to answer the question now, it would clearly impact what he does. Like they were, Six months into a relationship, he was nine years into a dream. And that, I think he, I think he's being very candid when he says that, you know, that's understandable. This was a dream he had and then he met someone Uh and where is that going to go? They don't know. Um, But I think that if like they're still together, it's been three years and that's a different type of conversation now, Mm -hmm. which is interesting and, you know. I'm very happy for Alex. Right. So, what does it look like now then? So, you think it will have some level of impact on what he chooses to do next? Yeah, at this point, I think so. Mm -hmm. And and I mean, he's already, you know, admittedly changed in in ways. Uh, Particularly, he said, you know, when I watch the film, I, I see these things that I say to her, and I think, wow, that's. I need to work on that, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he uh, has a really uh, deep sense of self-awareness around these things, I think. He does and he doesn't, uh-huh. you know? It's like he doesn't sometimes in the moment, but then on reflection, he is all about self-betterment, you know, all the time. So it was, whether it was the ve- eating vegetables or not knowing how to hug and learning how to hug, uh-huh. and uh, he's constantly looking for best practices, but they they often feel very unemotional and like yeah. robotic, yeah. which kind of throws people and his friends sometimes. But that makes it comedic too. Yeah. I mean, he's unapologetically he's honest. Yeah, yeah he's but trying he to be. Tries. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he's trying, uh-huh. I should be more emotional. Like, uh-huh. oh no, on the, at the, you know, there's that point in the film where he's like, I'm feeling quite emotional. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
And that that is like him being emotional, him being like, uh-huh. that's why I And then I you joke saying the like, film, I'm glad, yeah, Spock is Spock human. Is, yeah. Spock has nerves. Right. Because sometimes we're like, is, hello. <laughs> right, 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 right. Well, the most uncomfortable he looks in the entire movie is when he's standing in that house in Vegas or when they're like <laughs> shopping. And you're like, I'm almost like uncomfortable watching him yeah. doing, doing that. It's like, it's so out of place. Uh, yeah. You know, and he's trying. He's like, I want to do this. And he's, you can, you know, he's, uh, I don't know. It just, it, it was fascinating to watch that without him saying anything. I think he's trying really hard. And I think, I don't think Alex is ever going to change. Like his, he feels this range of emotions, whereas most people feel maybe that range of emotions. Mm-hmm. I don't think that will change for him. Yeah. But I do, what I think is like, I've been th- we've been thinking a lot, as we're talking about this with other people and being asked these questions, I've been thinking a lot about the motive, his motivations or the why in his idea of self-betterment. Because I, I don't think it's necessarily about self-betterment. The more I think about it, I think... You know, like what he says, other people seem to enjoy hugging. I might as well try that. I think it's about communicating. You know, it's about him trying to understand more about what other people, human like having beings. something more in common with people. <laughs> like this, what would a normal human being do in <laughs> yeah. this situation? No, no, yeah. and, try, and trying to understand that experience. Yeah. Like m- normal people should have a house, like, you yeah. know, should have a house. Like he is an alien that yeah. came to planet Earth <laughs> yes. and studying what <laughs> yeah. it means to be human. And he wants <laughs> to communicate. He wants uh-huh. to touch yeah. people. And that's really interesting to me. You are listening to this podcast because you care about improving your health and your well-being. But this quest is incomplete if you have yet to add my friend Dr. Rangan Chatterjee's Feel Better, Live More podcast into your listening quiver. An RRP favorite and someone I'm personally quick to call when I'm in need of good advice. From nutrition to mindset, fitness, and relationships, each episode is packed with the tools you need to become the architect of your health. Subscribe to Feel Better, Live More, available wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There are certain rare people who have a powerful voice and know how to use it. My friend Amanda Decadene is one such human. The podcast is called The Conversation because it is the conversation. A groundbreaking series of raw and honest exchanges on the issues that matter most. Mental health, sex, politics, ambition, gender roles, and more. Listen to The Conversation wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There is so much health information out there. It can feel overwhelming and leave even the most well-intentioned confused about what's what and who to trust. Well, the first person that I call when I'm seeking clarity is my friend and nutrition expert, Simon Hill, host of the fantastic podcast, The Proof. Each week, Simon matches wits with brilliant scientists, translating their evidence-based insights into actionable tools for better well-being. Subscribe to The Proof, available wherever you get your podcasts, and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. What didn't make it into the final edit that like was difficult for you to cut out, like some other aspects of the story? 
Mm. You know, we had the real privilege of having time when we made this film. So we worked, like, we tried everything. There's no um, idea that wasn't tried. And the question is, did we go back again to try it? Like, that's kind of the level Mm -hmm. of how much playing we were doing. Um, like once we got the film to a certain place, did we have, did we actually go back to that original idea and see if we could make it work? Um, and I guess there's, there's nothing I regret, um, that we regret. Yeah. There's one thing that popped up the other day that I kind of began to regret, which was the rock. There was a rock that fell in Morocco. Yeah. Um, while they were climbing, it was, it was a freak normal, like a, it's something that happens on climbs, but it was pretty dramatic, but we didn't get it on camera. Uh-huh. And everyone was very shook, like shaken up. And it didn't fit. Like we tried everything, and people were too animated, so it didn't feel serious. And but it would have been wonderful. Like it mm-hmm. would have been very meaningful if we could have made that work. But mm-hmm. there are no regrets with this film. Like I, yeah, I'm, I yeah. think that we really tried everything we could, and that feels good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you've been traveling around, screening the movie all over the place. It's getting you know this incredible response right now from all different kinds of people. I mean, you guys must just be elated and delighted. Super exciting. I mean, I would imagine you're going to get Oscar shortlisted. You know, you guys are on an incredible trajectory. What has the experience been for you guys sharing the movie and watching, gauging like audience reactions to it? It's been humbling. Um, and we were so immune to this one, we're just so relieved that Alex is fine. Like the uh-huh. best day of this production was right. the day he, you know, free solo all cap, and we knew we were okay. I can't you know? imagine the yeah. cathartic release. It was it him. was such a profound release and relief. It was a big yeah. relief. And and the thing is, is I I kind of had made a deal with myself or with the universe or at some point, probably the month or the week leading up to when he finally did it, which was that you know in those moments when you're like the idea of him pulling it off, us filming it successfully, everybody being okay, the crew being safe, it seems so out of reach. And yeah. I remember thinking, if if we ever pull this off, if he ever pulls this off, like everything else will be gravy. Like the film, mm-hmm. whatever happens with the film, it's all gonna be gravy. And, uh, and then, you know, I kind of go back to that through this experience right. um, where I'm like, you know what? We're so fortunate to have been able to have this experience. I mean, the process of the production was really intense, but it was like an expedition where it's difficult. <laughs> the, what? The 450-day expedition? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's that long. Oh, yeah. But, you wow. know, when, when you suffer through this thing, uh-huh. but you achieve you know, what seemed like an impossible goal. And there's, you know, a deep satisfaction with that. And so, you know, there's, there's, you, you, we try to, we're trying to enjoy the moment. Uh, We're trying not to put too much into it. I mean, we we're putting everything into it, but I just mean like. Attachment to. Yeah. I'm trying to stay centered about it. Like we appreciate looking across an ocean of heads that are like, in a theater, gripped, mm-hmm. watching your movie. I mean, that feels great, you know. Um, but yes, we're we're just we're very happy and grateful. So we were relieved when he did it, and then like the on like the onset of like oh no, 
we have to bring it now. Like, you know, yeah. we, <laughs> we've got to make the, you he did owe this ex- it to him. We owe it yeah, to him right. too. And he's <laughs> shown up in these intimate moments. Like we have to make the most of it. Yeah. So then having, cruise. I mean, everyone good. was so committed. And so mm-hmm. then having that time to really experiment and explore and push was great, but it, we became immune, right? Like it's it's just a shot now. Mm-hmm. When, like in the edit room, I was like, oh, that's a nice shot of the mountain. And when we went to Telluride and watched it with an audience, and it was 10 o'clock at night, it was the world premiere, it was a huge auditorium, and just looking at everyone from Tommy Caldwell, his wife, Sonny, all our cinematographers, the producers sitting there in one row, sobbing and experiencing <laughs> probably like a profound PTSD on some level. Yeah, Because right. we had this exercise for three, for two years of like, mm. don't feel anything in front of Alex. So no one, like you put it away mm-hmm. and suddenly you can let it out. Um, and that audience too. Yeah, no, and the audience and we were like, like triggering wow, it and I like forgot. being part of this. Um, so it's just been, it's been a real privilege and like a great, like, I, I think we keep on saying to each other, and I keep on saying to Jimmy and Alex a lot, like, this doesn't happen. Yeah. Like, this is a moment, and it's really special. And I wonder what it is about the film in this moment, and that's kind of an interesting question. Yeah. But um, just, let's just enjoy it, you know? It's so cool. I mean, it was screening at the Cinerama Dome in Hollywood. Like, when was the last time a documentary, period, was on the screen at that theater? But you it's, know, it's insane. It's an interesting story because we were so, it's all about where you open in L.A., right? Uh-huh. What theater will take this movie? And we couldn't book it. We couldn't book it. We couldn't book it. And like three weeks before Arclight came in, and that was great. We're like, mm-hmm. it's amazing. We got one of their screens at the Arclight. And it was the Wednesday before, because everything got sold out so fast. There was a sense on our side, like, we need more screens. We need more screens. And, like, no one wanted to give us more screens. Um, And on the Wednesday before, um, one person from our team was checking the ticket sales and, you know, like, um, tapped on the Arclight link and saw that they had added, it was, like, 14 more screenings on Thursday and Friday, Uh including the Cinerama Dome. They gave us three screens. Like, the whole, like, it just overnight happened. And that was almost, that was amazing. Like, we didn't even know. Right. Like, we just didn't know. Yeah. And then it happened. And it ended up, it's the highest per screen average of, like, any documentary or something like that. Opening weekend. Opening weekend. Right. That is crazy. Ever. (laughs) Thanks to Arclight. They gave it, I mean, they gave it, they believed in it and um, gave us those screens. Uh Because otherwise, you just can't throw a number like that. Yeah. Yeah. The wild thing was, as I'm watching it, you get lost in the narrative and 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 you're just like, oh my God, is it, you know, what, is he going to fall? Is he going to fall? And I'm like, well, he's sitting right there. Like, you know, I know that he's fine. He gave me a hug. He's been practicing his hug. So I was yeah. like, it's all good. Yeah. And yet you still couldn't help but like become incredibly mm-hmm. tense and anxious. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I even know. when you yes. know even what's going to happen. Know. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. it's it's funny. I mean, the number of people who come out of the theater that are shell-shocked and just look at you and say, uh-huh. I mean, the, the number of times I've heard, my hands are still sweating, you know? Yeah. Um, it's just, I, I never anticipated that much of a reaction. And so I, I you know, on the on this tour, it's, it's fun. I love going for the last 15 minutes. And, you know, I don't watch the movie, I watch people. Mm-hmm. And I, I love watching that, you know, when people have their hands over their eyes or they're gripping their partner next to them. I mean, I think it's a great date movie. Yeah. You know, people yeah, are always yeah, like yeah. grabbing each other, holding <laughs> each other, you know. It's a the horror theater. movie. It's a comedy. <laughs> it's just, it's that has been 
uh, something I didn't expect and uh-huh. I really enjoy. Yeah. From a technical perspective, I thought it was really interesting trying to deconstruct how you actually did this. I mean, there is a mix of special effects that are layered in, and I couldn't really tell where that began and end. Like mm-hmm. I knew you used Google Earth, and yeah. you have these amazing shots where you're pushing in on the wall. Yeah. Um, and it gave you like, cause you see the wall and you're like, yeah, it's a big wall, but it's only when you kind of zeroed in on them and then you would see just how tiny, you know, the bodies yeah. were against it that mm-hmm. you really got a sense of just how the largesse of, of the affair. Yeah, that was definitely one of the challenges because we've all been there, you know, China and the whole uh-huh. team have stood under El Cap and I've climbed El Cap a lot of times. I mean, it's the scale. I mean, it is so big and it's really, really hard to translate that on yeah, screen. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't get conveyed. No, so right? we worked very hard. We spent a lot of time. But it was, it's a good example of our partnership for Jimmy to come in and watch these cuts and be like, El Cap doesn't look big enough. And I'd be like, you didn't give me a shot that makes yeah. it look big enough. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and I'd be like, well, what's up with these guys? Yeah. They've had it for two months. They still can't make it look big enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just kept, it was the the push of it. Like, but we it doesn't know. We just didn't have enough information. Right. Um, and yeah. so finally, it was it was funny. It was like, we our process, I think it's, it's fair to say that we keep on tweaking to the bitter end. You know, like, I don't know until you're right if mm-hmm. it was even the final version of the movie. You know, like, keep on tweaking. And right before we were locking, it was just, I was walking along the street and I was like, wait. Google probably has better images. I wonder if they'd give them to us. Mm. And then they did. And so, wow, we were, so that was very late. It was very late. Very late. And it, then it took, you know, weeks to negotiate them to give us the information. Uh-huh. And then the files arrived and they were too big. Like it was they just this, huge. It was so a whole just thing. Ingesting it into the uh-huh. it took weeks. The and then um, but then they were able to create this three-dimensional mountain that worked. Because that was the whole thing. They, they would only be able to get it in a certain in a certain tightness, and that would just kind of defeat the purpose, yeah. right? You have to go all the way, or it's like, what's the point? Right. Well, that, I mean, that was brilliant because that really did make a huge difference mm. in, in helping you to understand the the gravity of the whole thing. Mm. What was uh, what was like the other than the simple fact that you have a dear friend who could possibly die? Like, what is what was the hardest part of this whole process? I think there was two, you know, I think that we both each kind of focused on tackling our respective, you know, spots. I mean, I think for there's the, the Verite filming and just getting, mm-hmm. putting in that time and getting Alex and Sonny to just co- totally commit and give in and submit to the camera and... <laughs> Submit. Yeah. Just, just, that's so good. Yeah, it is. Well, you just have to leave it rolling yeah, long enough yeah. until yeah. they're not aware they're that it's. They're okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sure. Yes. The, 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 the work itself. But I, don't you think it was, it was the, it was the pressure. It oh, was, yeah. it was this, it was no, the, the idea that he could die. Um, that never went away. Um, and that. Yeah. You woke up with every day. And also Even like, when we are on location. And also mm-hmm. like of our there. crew itself, because normally these types of high angle shoots don't last for as long as ours did and don't have that many people. So our exposure was significant. Yeah. So the day wasn't over until they were all on the ground. And that was a thing. Like, you know, you kind of, you'd hopefully not eat before them. And but like, it wasn't, that wasn't the point. The point was like, just make sure they're back and okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. We pulled um, on dinner. Like Morocco. Is Mikey down yet? Yeah, Are they right. down yet? Yeah. You know, I mean. 
And Morocco was pretty extreme as an experience. Like, it's seven minutes in the movie. It was three weeks of shooting in, like, pretty intense um, envi- pretty intense climbing environment. So I think, but it was always just the idea that Alex could die and did we make the right decision as much as we believed we did. Um, and please let us have made the right decision and Alex make good decisions. Yeah. And there was a possibility, of course, that he could have decided to not do it at all. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. That would have been fine. <laughs> yeah. But uh, as Alex says, but the movie would have sucked. <laughs> it would have been a harder yeah, movie to make. Like, it would have been harder. <laughs> but it you wasn't going to be like he decided not to do it. It would be a question of when. Uh-huh. I'm not doing it this year. Okay, we'll yeah. see you next year. Like waiting around for six years, but you're getting kind of old, Alex. That's okay. Like, uh-huh. you know, um, he was so obsessed with it that. Um, he, he just felt like it. he it was, was going happen. to. Yeah. And when he achieves it and he, you know, gets to the top and he's like, I'm so delighted. You know, <laughs> it's so, there's something really childlike and and innocent mm-hmm. and, and pure, you know, and beautiful about, because it's so honest to him, mm-hmm. you know. But, it goes, but like funny too, like what a weird thing totally, to say, you know. It's totally, <laughs> I mean, every screening. Yeah. You know, people laugh at that uh-huh. moment because he, he he's accomplished this like insane goal, and and he looks up and he's like, "I'm so delighted." And, yeah, you know he his he has this kind of way of thinking about it too, which is very smart. I mean, he's very smart, and he he's like, you know, I can't build it up into something bigger than it is, which would be hard anyways. But his whole idea is that, you know this isn't a stunt. Like he knows he's put the time in, he knew he was ready and he wouldn't do it until he was a hundred percent, you know, like he wasn't going to go for it fully if he, he didn't feel comfortable walking up mm-hmm. to it and going up it. But his point, cause people have asked him about it and you know, his response is like, yeah, I'm not like jumping up and down for joy because I, you know, robbed the bank and got away with it. He's like, I I knew I had it, yeah. you know? And he always also describes, you know, if you're in a, if, you know, the emotional spectrum is one to 10, he lives between 4.6 and 5.2. Uh-huh. And if he's super riled up, he gets to like 5.6, yeah. you know? And so he, he just, <laughs> that, that's his natural response, yeah. you know? But that smile, his smile is... Oh, yeah. Million. I yeah. mean, it's a million-dollar smile. Yeah. Um, but it's really just uh, the accomplishment is just... Uh, an external manifestation of, of who he is and what was within him the whole time. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't a, it's not a destination oriented thing. Like, no. okay, I did this, like now I'm done. And, you know, he goes back to the van and he's like doing pull-ups like the same day. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just, this is uh, this is who this guy is yeah. like through, through and through and through. Um, one question I have for you guys uh, is, and I'm interested if you answer this different, um, what what do you think makes a great documentary? Like, what are the elements that differentiate like a good documentary for from one that like really sings? Want me to go first? Yeah, I mean, I have thoughts. I mean, um, for me, it always is about the story. 
And then probably the character. I know we make these visually, you know, we have very high expectations for ourselves visually. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it was funny. I was just going with our editor through, like, my earlier films and went back. He went back to watch my first film. Um, You know, and that was shot on a, you know, a tiny mini DV camera um, by me. (laughs) And, you know, and the characters in that film are just remarkable, you know. And so, and their story was amazing. So I don't. You know, I think of things like Street Fight, you know, um, Marshall Curry's film that he shot on another mini TV camera uh-huh. about um, Cory Booker, you know, first yeah. um, race. And, you know, I, it, I think it, you just have to have that story and that character and yeah. you can make a wonderful film. And then the other part of that is clearly the gaze, like the G-A-Z-E of it, like that that your own intention as a filmmaker is... It will very much define that, uh-huh. you know. And do you think those principles apply whether it's narrative or documentary? I mean, you've you've done a lot in in documentary filmmaking. You've worked with all kinds of interesting people and made many other films. But you also work with Mike Nichols on Closer, right? Like, what do you learn from? I mean, a master storyteller that informs the films that you make now. I mean, it's story. I mean, it was yeah. always story for Mike. And character. (laughs) Those are his two things. I think his process was really interesting. Like, he still rehearsed. He would work with the writer in rehearsal with the real actors, Mm -hmm. saying their lines and, like, breaking it apart. And how he really focused on those performances. And, he, I mean, Mike was a genius. Like, the amount of things. Mm -hmm. Like, he was the type of guy that in the room he would notice what the person in the corner was saying. And if it was something of, you know, of worth, he would no matter who you are, he would engage because he would remember that that person had said it. Um, and yeah, for him, it was always story and character. So yeah. it's the same thing. Yeah. Jimmy. Yeah. I mean, I, how can I argue with that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, but I, but you come I, to I it from a, from a more of a DP perspective. Sure. Yeah. I mean, visually, of course, I mean, I love, you know, creating the visuals. Yeah. That's, part of what I do and who I am. Uh, But I always kind of go back to what I personally love about films. And, you know, for films that really moved me um, emotionally, that made me feel something. Who are your guys? Like, who are the... I mean, like, the most recent example, I don't know. I mean, there's... I guess this is more narrative, but... You know, I grew up, well, I, I'm just trying to think of something most recent. Like, I I loved uh, Hurt Locker. I loved Damien Chazelle's um, Whiplash, mm-hmm. too. I mean, the Have tension. Have you seen First Man yet? And we saw First Man. Um, I loved Senna, too. So the, there's oh, I two that things movie. that I... I, yeah. I I love is when you're really moved emotionally. I remember watching The Power of One back, you know, there were some films that like yeah. that's the, made me feel something deeply. Uh-huh. And like, and I love that experience because you're being transported somewhere and you feel something. And I always want to make films where people feel something, you know, where they're like moved emotionally. And I also love... Um, 
being transported in a world. And I think Senna did this for me where you're like, mm, yeah, race car driving. I know it's kind of dangerous and like, but I'm not that interested in race car driving. Uh -huh. And I came out of that movie being like, whoa, you know, yeah. I was like, Formula One is so gnarly it and like so pushing visceral. the edge is yeah. like, I get what they're pushing for and I understand the ambition and like what it means. So those kind of things I, I have, you know, for Meru, the previous film, like those, you know, I remember Hurt Locker and Senna informed some of my mm -hmm. thinking around mm -hmm. it. Um, but I it, love the emotional. Yeah. What's interesting about what you do, though, is that it, for most documentary filmmakers that are sort of on the periphery, and I, I suppose for this movie, you had to be more on the periphery than you usually are, but, mm -hmm. but generally, it's an immersive process for you where you are participant and observer at the same time, mm -hmm. which is unique, which is unique. Like you're, you're telling the story and you're part of the story as well. Yeah. And I, I feel like it's always, cause I'm feeling deeply on these productions. You know, I feel something very deeply when I'm in it just cause you are in it. And it's, I don't think it's necessarily special, but the, you know, it's important for me, you know, to bring that feeling and hopefully share it, right. you know, bring it through the screen and give it to, to the people watching it. And that's, thankfully I have a child to help. Yeah. <laughs> well, I would think that. like Jimmy is like a literal translation of that, where I think that most, like all filmmakers or all authors, like yeah. you are active yeah, participant in what you're doing. Um, and that, that's like a responsibility. Um, yeah. But at least with, like with Jimmy, like it has to be a palpable, it's like a palpable thing. Like you're, you're watching it mm -hmm. and he, as he's doing it. What, it. what do you want audiences to take away from this movie? Or do you want to just allow them to have their own experience? But like, what is your, do you have an intention behind that? No, my, it's kind of what I took away from Alex's story, which is here is this incredibly scared kid who's a loner who began climbing without a rope because it was scarier to talk to somebody to be his, ask him to be his partner. And who, you know, was intimidated by vegetables, scared of hugs, scared of intimacy, any intimacy, and methodically taught himself, you know, to work through his own fears. And that is very, very moving to me mm -hmm. because I feel like everyone has a fear like that. We're not that extreme maybe, but there are lots of things that scare us. Um, and the process of him working his way through his fears is what? Like he places himself in the most fear-inducing scenarios a human being could imagine. Well, I think it's little by little, right? Like he practiced hugging and that's yeah. how he introduced one vegetable a month. Right. Um, and yes, and then he decided that he wanted to climb this uh -huh. mountain. So he began, he spent, you know, 15 years of his career preparing for doing something bigger and badder. Um, but I think he also has this courage that I hope people take away from the film. Like, it's very inspiring what what he's done and how he looks at it and how he, and also this communal experience that happens. Like, it's about communicating yeah. and courage and doing something. So, you know. And, know. and what is it that you think makes him unique? Like, if you had to define what makes him special and distinct from his peers within that community and even in general. I think that his absolute like adherence to a life of intention makes him incredibly unique. Yeah. Um, 
like that is real and it and it's, and it's inspiring. It's uncompromising yeah. and yeah. it's yeah. inspiring. And then you add to that that he's clearly a genius. Like he's an absolute genius, but he's also has this discipline that is unheard of. Like it is ap- it's discipline that mm-hmm. make that's what makes him great. Um because I'm sure Tommy could be a better climber than he is. Like but Alex's like discipline just helps him move through all these challenges. Right. Like his talent is on par with his peers, but his talent isn't the dis- the deciding factor. It's not like he's more talented than anyone else. It's something else. Not not necessarily physically. Right. That's what I meant. Physical but, talent. I mean, he's unmatched, like on his mental capacity mm-hmm. to. I mean, we always kind of say that it's his his one superpower. Yeah. He has a superpower that he can but manage it's his, it. It's it's like he's able to take his emotional, mental, physical spiritual selves and condense them, distill them down into one thing that's working in perfect unison. I I think you're very, that's very good observation because if, if you look at soloing, it is, it is like the purest form of climbing, right? I mean, you are stripped to even not having a harness and ropes. It is the purest expression of, I mean, Maybe he could do it naked, but otherwise, yeah. like it is like the purest expression of climbing. I don't think we'd want to see but, him do it naked. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? It's uh-huh. like it's a and and he's like that. <laughs> he's like that. It should be pretty fun. Yeah. It made me think of the the guy in the bunny suit on the wall, or yeah, the, unicorn, the, the unicorn, unicorn suit. right? Yeah. No, but like you said, he he distills. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's all about uh, efficiency distilling down to the these very you know, everything to its finest form, essentially. And that is is a constant engine running in his head yeah. for everything. What do you think he's going to do next? I think he's, you know, we've had a, a few conversations about it as this thing's starting to blow up, yeah. you know, um, and get bigger and bigger, uh, talking about, you know, how you manage it and what, you know, and we talked a lot about, taking taking his time you know there's no rush to be inspired again but and there's no need to force anything unless he's inspired by it and so yeah. i think he's kind of biding his time i think he's going to pivot a lot of his attention towards his foundation which he really believes yeah. in uh you know his belief is like there's no use in being famous if it's not being used for good and so he has like a good pivot point for it and you know Climbing has a lot of different expressions. Uh, speed climbing, like he finished this climb, went to Alaska, did a big alpine climb, went to Antarctica. Mm-hmm. We went to Antarctica together. He went to broke the speed record on the nose. I mean, he's actively training and climbing because he has other climbing goals. Um, but does he need to do another bigger solo? I mean. Probably not. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, if he's well, inspired. Well, he's definitely played his man card. I mean, <laughs> yeah. he doesn't have anything to prove to anybody no. or himself, really. It's no. just no. his internal, you know, drive to express himself. Yeah. And that, yeah. The, the funny thing is, is like, he he, he did it for himself. You know, yeah. he wasn't even trying to play the man card. Yeah. I mean, it, it, the beautiful, he has that beautiful line in the movie where he's like, look, it's more important to me to do this. What's important is that I do this and do it the way that I want to do it, not that it be documented. I'm yeah. paraphrasing. I don't remember the yeah. exact line. Like, but I don't care if it's filmed. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. 
What about you guys? What are you going to do next? It's a good question. You set the bar pretty high. <laughs> That's, I mean, I have to say, <laughs> you like, feel that pressure? Um, like, after Meru, yeah. we felt that pressure uh-huh. profoundly because it's like, it doesn't get much, you know, we fell in love while making mm-hmm. Meru. We had a child. We, um, Meru was made for nothing. And then it, it made all this money. Like, there was this, like, thing that we, could we ever, Meru was Shakespearean <laughs> as a film. Um, so I'm just excited to do something a little different. Like we we began working on a film concurrently um, about Christine Tompkins and Tompkins conservation, mm-hmm. and Christine Tompkins and the late Doug Tompkins, and it's kind of like an out of Africa for our generation. It's oh, like wow. it's building on this idea of intention, a life of intention. It's a little more radical, even than free soloing. Yeah, yeah. um, there is a mountain, but not a main mountain. Uh-huh. Um, this is like a whole new thing for Jimmy. And, but these yeah. are his best friends. <laughs> so these are my uh-huh. so. And it's just, I'm excited to, I've never made, we've never made a film about someone who's passed already. And so Doug Tompkins had died several years ago, tragically. And like, yeah. that's kind of an interesting challenge. And the characters are so rich on this film More and there's archival. a lot of archival. Uh-huh. So I'm, I'm, in, I'm excited to kind of tackle with something else while we are exploring what else is in our future. But, yeah. but it's deeply meaningful it's, it's important. to me and to Chai and we've, you know, Yvonne Chouinard and and Doug and and Chris and Rick Ridgway, that circle of friends have been, well, clearly an influence on a lot of people, but, you know, have been very dear kind of mentors and friends that I've looked up to for a very long time and Uh have gotten to know for over the last 15, 20 years. And our kids get to go to Patagonia. It's going to be great. And we have, we have, (laughs) yeah. We love them, you yeah. know, deeply. Family and traveling. so there feels like a lot of, yeah, inspiration That's and meaning cool. behind it. You know, yeah. I, I don't want, I only want to, well, as you can imagine, you, you, you throw down a lot for documentaries. Yeah. And you're, you're basically making a decision for the next few years. However many life. years. Yeah. Yeah. We get faster though. Uh, I yeah. found like, I've, this is my sixth film now. This will be my seventh. I feel like uh. every film I've basically cut the ratio in half. But isn't this, doesn't the story dictate that? Sure. Yeah. But you also get better. Yeah. It's clear. Well, you have, I mean, there's something magical in the alchemy between the two of you. You know, Manhattan, born and bred, Minnesota, Wyoming, yeah. climber. Like it's a, you know, it's an unlikely pairing, yeah. but there's something really cool in how you complement each other. Well, we this. both come from Chinese tiger yeah. moms. Like, I mean, okay, like <laughs> yeah. our moms probably had a lot in common. Uh-huh. And it's Was it full on tiger general. mom? Oh, yeah. oh, I'm half. Yeah. Like I'm half Chinese. So yeah. I had like this whole nice Hungarian, Brazilian, like professorial dad right. who like, very much wants me to do what I believe in, whereas my mom still uh-huh. will be like, it's not too late to go to med school. Yeah. You're so yeah, good yeah, with your hands. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, but I think- My mom that, is not a tiger mom. Uh, she's not Chinese, but she still asks me if she thinks I'm going to go, I'm 52 years old. I'm going to go to medical school. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I, when are you going to get a real I, job? Yeah, I, I get that a lot. <laughs> but anyway, go ahead. Um, no, no, it's a thing, yeah. but it's definitely this deep, we know where each other comes from when it comes to the really important things. Uh-huh. And that's something that's very safe and warm and special yeah. um, for both of us, I think. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But you have you have this Upper East Side, you know, 
rearing. People You're say this Manhattan. like people say this like it's like a poison. Right. My parents were immigrants. Mm-hmm. Okay, they moved. I was conceived in LA. Clear the record. Okay. okay, my dad was a professor at Columbia. You know, it's just it was a good place to raise kids. Yeah. The same way that Jimmy's parents had read that Minnesota was a good place to uh-huh. move to raise children. Right. And so there were librarians at the University of Minnesota Mankato. So it's like we ha- it was um I think New York City has this like bad rap. Um, where I would more say like it was this opportunity to go to an amazing girls' school, you know, that shaped everything for me um, and let us eat Chinese food every weekend. Uh-huh. You know, like it's like the city with everything. Yeah. Um, but both my parents worked and were also really dedicated to my brother uh-huh. and myself. So it, it, I don't know. And Jimmy, you have academic parents, but Tiger Mom, like how do you get, you know, like yeah. we don't have time to explore yeah. your whole backstory. <laughs> we got to wrap this up. No, no, you both, get going, both but. parents were uh, highly attuned to excellence. Yeah. I mean, Jimmy yeah. played till book 15 of Suzuki. Okay, wow. like he is like a really, really? accomplished yeah, musician. Yeah, I started playing uh-huh. violin when I was three. I mean, we still have this violin. It is uh-huh. amazing. Like it's this big. Yeah, and um, I played through high school, and then I picked up a guitar. He been swimming. Yeah. He was like all like I mean, but, swim champion of Minnesota. Uh-huh. Um, there was no drive there. And martial arts. I basically mm. competed in, you know, you were a swimmer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have meets every yeah. weekend, but they were throwing in martial arts competitions on top of them. Oh, wow. And, and, and you know, playing the violin. Yeah, and playing. You had to do it all. So he was ready for the mean streets of Manhattan. Uh-huh. Yeah. So what do they think of what you're doing now? Well, they've both passed. Oh, they I have. Mean, I'm sorry. I didn't but, know yeah. But they, you know, they got to see it. I'm very happy that they got to see, you know, they... Once I started publishing and I was in the magazines and stuff like that, you know, uh-huh. my mom had a stack of magazines this big with little markers oh, sticking cool. out of them, you know, in the living room. And I'd be like, mom, that's so embarrassing. Can you put that away? Um, but it's like she, she would just put all of them. So she, she was, yeah. And your dad was pretty yeah, proud so. of our two kids. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah that, I they, that was also like a big event in everyone's lives. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I got a release you guys um, to your lives. But I thought a good way to kind of close it down would be to maybe impart a little bit of inspiration or wisdom to the aspiring filmmakers out there. I mean, you guys have achieved something extraordinary with the work that you have done, and I have no doubt will continue to do uh, for people out there that are interested in either narrative or documentary filmmaking and are struggling to figure out their voice or how to get going, what what can you say to those people? I think that making films is hard. So if you're going to make a film, it should be about something that is incredibly meaningful to you. You know, and that's, that's, that's why you, mm-hmm. you would use your voice. Um, so that, that meaning you know, find that meaning, you know, and it's okay to wait until you find it or like bumble yeah. along the way and find it later. But it's just, the, the it should be meaningful. Yeah, I, it's, I mean, I would echo that. I mean, it's, it's really about finding, it's a bigger question. It's about finding your purpose and finding what gives you meaning and f- finding things that you're inspired and passionate about. Because like Chai said, it, it's very hard to make films, but when you find something that gives you that drive and, and purpose, um, it's a lot 
you have to be relentless regardless. You know, yeah. it's a lot easier when you find something that has a lot of meaning right. behind it. Cool. All right. I think that's a good way to end it, you guys. Thanks. Yeah. You thank feel? you so much for thank having you. us here. We're very sincere. Um, <laughs> thank you. Uh, it's an extraordinary accomplishment. Um, free Solo, which should have been called Solo, by the way, except for a pesky Star Wars film that happened to come out, right? <laughs> Alex told me like that was the original title. It, it was, was and we tried. We were yeah. like, we will fly in defiance. And now, uh -huh. now that Nacho was just bought by Disney, like why couldn't we? Um, but um, the like legal, legal couldn't, wouldn't let us do it. And I mean, then ultimately, I think that Free Solo solved a lot of problems for us, like narrative uh -huh. problems. Like it was still an elusive concept for everybody. What is Free Solo? So we yeah. just called the movie Free uh -huh. Solos and suddenly like all the problems went away. Yeah. 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 Now I can't imagine, imagine yeah. it being called anything else. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I said, extraordinary accomplishment. It's it's funny, it's riveting, it's harrowing, it's beautiful. I saw Brett Morgan tweeted that yeah. you should be getting a, a cinematography Oscar for it, which is high praise from a, a master documentary filmmaker. I think all that praise is well-earned. Um, it's super cool and exciting to see the response that the film is getting. I think it's only going to continue to build. And the beautiful thing about documentaries is they 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 get that opportunity to build and find their audience. And um, this has got to be, it's a great time for you guys. It's so cool. So I'm excited for you. I look forward to seeing you on the stage at the Oscars. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Step by step. Hey man, I had yeah. Brian Fogel in here last year around this time. <laughs> so anything is possible. Um, and uh, for those that are listening and haven't seen it yet, please make a point of, of, of seeing it. Um, and you will you will uh, not be disappointed. Cool, is there, is, there, uh, is it everywhere nationwide right now? Mm -hmm. yes. And what about internationally? It is opening in England December 14th and more more countries to follow. Mm -hmm. yeah, but cool. it is at its widest this weekend. It's in 400 theaters, so people should go out and see it. Yeah, and if people wanna learn, if this is brand new to people and they wanna learn more about it, where's the best place for them to go online? Uh, freesolofilm.com. Uh-huh, cool. Anywhere, yeah. Anything else coming up? You guys doing talks or anything like that where people can find you and track you down and stalk uh, you? Our Instagrams. Yeah. I'm at Jimmy underscore Chin. I looked for years, but you didn't have any posts unless I had it wrong. No, she's just <laughs> you changed just her. Joined? Oh, no, you no, changed no. it. I, I, everyone has convinced me to go, to change it from like the name that used to make me happy to my own name. Uh -huh. So it's Chai Vassarelli. Okay. At Chai Vassarelli. At Chai Vassarelli. Yeah. Cool. And I'll put links to all that yeah. stuff up in the And show free notes. solo film. There you so. go. All right, cool. Thanks, you guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Peace. Let's. Beautiful humans, those two. Really hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Do me a favor, show them some love on the socials. You can find Chai on Instagram at Chai Vazarelli, C-H-A-I-V-A-S-A-R-H-E-L-Y-I. And uh, Jimmy is at Jimmy underscore Chin. And on Twitter, you can find him at Jim K. Chin. Most importantly, if you have not done so already, please make an immediate appointment to see Free Solo. To learn more about the film, go to freesolofilm.com and check out the YouTube version of this podcast, which, as I mentioned earlier, features clips from the movie, and you can find that at youtube.com forward slash ritual. As always, check out the show notes on the episode page at ritual.com to expand your experience of today's conversation beyond the earbuds. And if you're looking for a nutritional guidance, 
I urge you to check out our meal planner, the Plant Power Meal Planner at meals.richroll.com. We have thousands and thousands of plant-based recipes at your fingertips, all customized based on your personal preferences with unlimited grocery lists, grocery delivery in most metropolitan areas, and amazing customer support available seven days a week. It's available to you for just $1.90 a week when you sign up for a year. To find out more and to sign up, go to meals.richroll.com or click on Meal Planner on the top menu on my website. And if you would like to support the work that we do here on the podcast, there are a couple simple ways to do just that. Tell your friends about your favorite episode, share the show on social media, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on YouTube, on Google Podcasts, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, that's huge. And you can also support the show on Patreon at richroll.com forward slash donate. I wanna thank everybody who helped put on the show today, Jason Camiolo for audio engineering, production, show notes, interstitial music, all kinds of behind the scenes stuff. Blake Curtis and Margot Lubin for graphics and video and editing. Reese Robinson for his beautiful portraits, David Kahn for sponsored relationships, and theme music, as always, by Analemma. Thanks for the love, you guys. See you back here soon, shortly, in a couple days, as a matter of fact, with uh, a really amazing episode with my man, Ross Edgley, the guy who just circumnavigated Great Britain swimming. It's an incredible story, so you have that to look forward to. Until then, be well, see free solo, be grateful, Love more freely, take care of yourselves, move your body, eat good food, all the good stuff. Oh yeah, and meditate. Always meditate and get a good night's sleep. Peace. Bless. Yeah.